Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Brennan Nath, HW Plus Managing Editor here at HousingWire with the latest installment of HousingWire Daily Podcast, where our editors and reporters discuss the most compelling stories and sources that they're covering. I'm stepping in once again for our editor-in-chief, Sarah Wheeler, as she is out this week. And today, my guest is someone you guys are very familiar with. It's HousingWire's lead analyst, Logan Motoshami, to talk about some of the most recent HW Plus stories that he's written, along with his insights from those pieces. But before we we dive in, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Now more than ever, it's important to partner with a subservicer who is compliant. TMS operates under a culture of compliance, one that follows all investor and regulatory guidelines 24-7, 365. They not only put the customer first, they do what is right. It's a way of doing business that has earned special praise from Fannie Mae, Jenny Mae, and many state regulators. Partner with a subservicer who makes compliance a priority. Go to subservicing.themoneysource.com. Logan, I'm excited to be able to interview today on the podcast. It's always a pleasure. It has always been a pleasure. I always have a lot of fun when we have interviews together. Well, one of your pieces this week is circulating and popping on the web right now. So excited to kind of dive into it for our listeners. So to jump right in, the headline of that piece that's catching a lot of attention is, is it really the worst time ever to buy a house in the U.S.? Talk about a headline that's catching some attentions. In that piece, you dig into the results of Fannie Mae's recent home purchase sentiment index. So let's make it clear here. What do you want people to actually take away from that survey and where are they probably going wrong? Well, two main points. Um, the sentiment is really based on inventory shortages. Uh, and uh, it, it makes complete sense. If you look at total inventory in America, it has been falling for eight years and we've just had back-to-back years uh, of the lowest inventory ever recorded in history also, there is the uh, demand dynamic. We're, this is also happening with the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history, with the lowest mortgage rates ever recorded in history. So it makes complete sense that uh, demand is at pre-cycle highs now, but inventory has shattered down to all-time lows. So what happens is people have to go against other people. Competition. Nobody likes competition. You just want to place one offer on a home and then, I mean, just the whole home buying process and selling your home or whatever you have to do to obtain the house is is, is a difficult process, a stressful. Now you're dealing with, not it's not just one or two people. You're dealing with 10, 15, 20, 25 people. So that in itself is correct. I agree with him. I've even talked about for for a long time, that this is the most unhealthiest housing market post 2010, not because we're in a credit boom or it's a bubble or people are taking out exotic loan debt. It's just that inventory is too low and it happened right during the years 2020 to 2024. So your competition with your fellow Americans is high. Uh, and on top of everything else, we've had unhealthy home price growth in 2020, 2021, and now we start the year in 2022 with the lowest inventories ever recorded in history. That will make anyone grumpy. I totally agree with that. What I disagree with the premise that a lot of people made, and especially last year, a lot of 
housing bearish people in this country said, that's it, it's over, housing's going to crash, nobody wants to buy a home. That is a terrible rookie mistake by people, again, who are not data analysts, they're not economists, they're professional grifters. And what had happened last year, especially through the middle part of the year, people had talked about a second half housing crash, that it's FOMO, it's 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 all Wall Street. And this is Purchase application data had a very, very solid increase the last four months. It just blew those people out of the water. And uh, so people are, wait a second, the sentiment is bad, but home buying was the highest in uh, uh, since the early part of the century. Yeah, that makes sense because the competition is part of the reason why you're stressed. So you have high home price growth, you have low inventory, you have demand up there. So the survey makes sense on that point uh, in terms of uh, being the, is it the worst time to buy? But it's not one of these, oh, Americans have all given up uh, on buying homes. That's it. It's over. Home sales have to fall at least one or two million. You know, no, that, that is that is a terrible, naive and rookie mistake to uh, use that survey for that regard. I know in your um, like analysis of the piece, you point to the people who do say it is like, oh, everyone's given up. No one wants to buy anymore. A lot of that sentiment was coming around at the end of you know last year. Now there's this latest kind of piece. Looking forward with this survey and even this current one, what would you want to highlight or maybe even just restress when it comes to what people should actually take away from it and even maybe look for or a better way to analyze the survey in the future? So one thing, the survey can increase if competition goes down and inventory goes up, right? But the counter to that is that there'll be some demand weakness uh, for that, which is actually common with the surveys. When when supply is growing and there's less competition, uh, people feel a little bit better because the stress goes down. So kind of look at it in an opposite way. If you, if as long as we see this, uh, these levels. Uh, that just means inventory is too low and demand's too high. When we start to see inventory increase, mortgage demand fades a little bit. This survey should get a little bit better just because with more homes on the market, it's more product, it's less stress, less bidding. Also, we also have to remember the seller right now is also, you know, that's the one thing in this uh, new survey. The seller is also saying, hey, maybe it's not a great time to sell. So people go, how's that possible? Well, a seller is a natural buyer of another home unless they're selling to rent or an investment property. So the sellers right now are thinking, if I sell, do I do I really even get the house I want? So it's not always about the buyer uh, that, that gets stressed. I think this the newest one to show the sellers are kind of uh, falling down in terms of, is it a good time to sell? Makes sense because again, when you lack product, you know this is not like you're buying an Xbox or an iPhone. This is somewhere you wanna live for 10, 15, 20 years. So you got to get this right. So you got to buy something that you want. And for some sellers, there's just not a lot out there that they might like uh, currently. You wrap up that piece with, I think, a point that we probably mentioned earlier this week. We had a forecast event, talked about how forecasts are panning out throughout the year. And the big question then, and also that you touched on at the end of the article, is mortgage rates. So can you dive into kind of that maybe solution's not the right word or what you're looking for to fix this problem? And that comes back to mortgage rates. So I am so excited and people can see how giddy I am now that the 10-year yield has broken above 1.94%. So let's go all the way back to the 2020 forecast. I did make a premise. I said, I can get the 10-year yield to break above 1.94% and head to 2.42%, which means mortgage rates between 4 to 4.5%. But they need Japan and Germany bond yields to go up. 
And this is the first time since I've since I've done these bond yield forecasts where I basically targeted two other countries and global yields needed to rise. What's happened recently is global yields around the world all increasing. That means the negative yields around all the world is falling. This was the core premise with the 2022 forecast to get it above 1.94%. And we can get into a range as long as it could stay between four to four and a half percent for some time. Housing should cool down in terms of creating more days on the market because nothing else is working. And I think one of the problems that I've had with maybe the other people in the housing community, they say, well, we just have to build more homes. Listen, building more homes hasn't worked, right? It didn't work from 1996 to 2005 when home prices accelerated beyond trend from uh, uh, pre-1996 levels. Only demand weakness actually really created more inventory. And even now, currently, housing permits are at pre-cycle highs, inventory is at all-time lows. There's a more complicated story with housing uh, uh, in terms of inventory. And for right now, the days on market are too low. And all I'm seeing is stories from agent friends. I was like, oh, lost the house, went out in five hours. Oh, 66 offers, 31 offers. This is not a good thing. So the only solution that I see is something that I wrote for Housing Wire the summer of 2020. I said, listen, what can cool down the housing market, create more days on the market is really a 10-year yield getting above 1.94%. So I'm a bond market guy. I work off things that I believe that the bond market would need to go higher. And it's it's not growth in inflation. We know we've had a very hot inflation data. Inflation data has been hot. Economic growth has been hot. But the big difference in 2022 than what we saw in the last two years Global yields have been rising, but especially Japan and Germany. That was the that was the main premise of the forecast. We need them, and they have. So hopefully, we can stick around here long enough to create more days on market. Because what we have right now is just it's crazy. It's just not it's not a healthy market because it's not just one or two bidders. It's 10, 15, 20. I saw a house in Cincinnati was sixty six. You don't want that kind of action for the housing market because housing is the cost of shelter to your own capacity to own a debt. People should have choices on where they want to live. That's a great expectation to set. To your point, a lot of people are highlighting maybe as if it's a good thing, like, hey, did you see how many offers I got or how many of this I got? But to what you just said, that's not something you want to be saying as as to the nation as a whole. It's not a good thing. And uh, maybe just unpacking that idea of like, hey, to everyone who's listening, you might think, oh, mortgage rates going up. That's a bad thing. We don't want this. But reality to what you're saying is, no, it, we're not in a healthy place. Exactly. There there are levels to where I start to run the red flag on. And when we got below 1.52 million, something, something that I saw looking forward uh, toward the summer of 2020 is like, oh, boy. This is not going to be good. This is why early last year, early in January in 2021, I said, everyone, you should worry about home prices accelerating, overheating, not the forbearance crash bros. Those are very untalented American citizens. Don't listen to them. And what we're seeing is inventory fell once again. Uh, I don't want to see 2023 have the new fresh all-time lows. But in general, let's think about us as human beings. What are human beings in terms of money? They are greedy. We love to make as much money as possible. So let's take both the housing groups. The home builders, oh boy, we have a lot of costs. Guess what? We're going to pass that off to this uh, to the buyer because we have pricing power. So you look at uh, median home prices. Boy, they really hot the last two years. The builders' profit margins are great. Is that the best thing for sustainability for housing? No. But what happens when rates rise, 
historically, at least about 4% to 5%, that range, things cool down a lot. That will put them in check. Home, home sellers, right? They're like, hey, listen, it's great. I got 66 offers, right? I got 100,000 over my uh, offering. That's great for them. For the housing market, not the best thing. And, and I think that's, that's the dynamic of what part of the fear is for me, is that we are simply human beings. We do what we need to do. It's best suited for us. So when you have a giant titanic uh, economic system of housing and you have low inventory, there's not going to be sellers that go, oh, listen, I, I'm going to sell my house 5% under bid just to help the national economy and home price. No, everyone's you know, going to do whatever they can. And there's just some crazy things happening on what sellers are asking for. But the only thing that cools this down is higher rates. So if it seems like I'm excited, it's because I am. Because since 2020, I said we need the 10-year yield above 1.94%. It's here. And hopefully, hopefully it sticks and it'll go higher in duration. You know, we need at least six to nine months, something like that to maybe create. Because if this doesn't do it, boy, we're looking at possibly 2023 being fresh new all-time lows. And that's what we don't want to see. You actually just answered kind of the next question I did have for you of like, okay, you just mentioned six to nine months that we need of this. And then also, okay, if that doesn't happen, what what are the headlines that we're going to have in 2023? And that is that dire situation that you just mentioned. Like that's when we're going to have what another year of saying all time. That's not a good thing. It's not a good thing. You know, there is another way to cool down the housing market. It's called credit controls where you raise the down payments or, or lower the debt to income ratios. That's never going to fly in America because everyone would say, well, only the upper income middle class or the rich will own homes and all that. So uh, uh, in the past, you could maybe use something like that to maybe cool down demand, but lending standards are very liberal, but it's just basic 30-year loans. There's no real uh, non-QM loans aren't big enough to really move the needle too much. So uh, that is the only final lever that's left. And I just don't think we do that as a country. So I'm just hoping that we can stay you know, above 1.94 to 2.42%, preferably get around four and a quarter, four and a half, and just create more days on market because this is a terrible negative. And I understand people are happy. Real estate agents get to sell their house quick. Sellers get you know top dollar. Buyers are stressed, some sellers are stressed, but the affordability that's getting eaten up. And again, I have to talk about this because I said five-year price growth model, 23%. For 23% and under, it's okay, it's manageable with wage growth. We lost that in two years. So I'm in year three and I'm looking, boy, I need flat to negative pricing just to keep the model in line and it's not working out. So hopefully something happens to where we create more days on market. And that's why I'm cheerleading that, uh, that premise. I always want to emphasize to our listeners the importance of regularly listening to Logan is he's constantly checking the latest um, reports that are coming out, the new home sales, existing home sales, the Fannie Mae sentiment report, and seeing like how it is, how are things continuously um, playing out and how your predictions are. So it's so important, which is why I love interviewing you, because you get the latest update on like how, how are things performing right now, and it's constantly changing. That We're constantly watching the bond yields, um, which brings me to my next question. You also wrote not only about Fannie Mae's tournament, you also talked about the jobs report that came out recently. What were your biggest takeaways from the jobs report and what do people need to know for that latest update? 
So part of my economic work uh, to go with the America's Back Recovery Model that I wrote for Housing Wire on April 7th, 2020, um, when we got the recovery in 2020, like I thought we would, uh, the labor market was going to be the one big lagging factor. So in 2021, when I started to write these things for my own blog, I said, I'm going to create a date, which is September of 2022. I believe by September of 2022, we should get all the uh, all the jobs back that we lost to COVID. There's a lot of variable factors that just prevent that from happening. So the jobs report, a lot of people are suspect of it because of seasonality factors. But in general, some people are looking for a down uh, a, a number and it came in a positive. And something I've written for Housing Wire is that I expect positive revisions to keep on being the story. We beat the headline number. We had positive revisions. But the internals of the job market were always excellent. Job openings are near 11 million, a theme of mine, you know, during the recovery that jolts 10 million tweets. It was the only person on Twitter doing that. Uh, um, Demographics, you know, baby boomers are leaving the workforce uh, every month. So we need labor, right? So it's just going to take us a little bit more time to get there. And so what I do for Housing Wire uh, every month now, and no more for my, I, I don't do this for my blog, is every month on the jobs report, I break the jobs report down targeting that September 22 date, but I also give the economic health update. Uh, We talk about models being key for expansions. You need to have recession models like I do. So one of my recession flags are up. uh, Another one's going to be probably up by the end of next month. So I try to give everyone a live update of all the economic data, things to track for, because you can track economic expansions and recessions. They've been done for many decades. You You just have to go to the right place to look. And keep away from stock traders. Stock traders tend to lie all the time about the economy. And uh, and, and that's the job report is solid. The internals are solid. And we're just working our way. Of course, Delta and Omicron were not part of the variable in beginning of 2021 when I gave that September 22 date. So even with those, I'm still keeping that target in line. And then sooner or later, we're going to have at least five, six, seven months with no uh, um, no outbreak, no surges, and our economy could just boom. We could get all those uh, jobs back. And then we take it from there because it was such a fast recovery that we're no longer in the early parts of the expansion. And there's different things to look at. So remember, every day, one data line at a time, that's what we do here at Housing Wire because nerds rule. And I would like to say, I know Logan and I have joked that um, if it's boring, it's probably good. It should be boring. But Logan, you do a great job making it exciting for those who can't see his face since we are on a podcast format. He is enthusiastic. He is smiling. This data is important. So you you make it exciting for our listeners. Yes. the, the, The top two things I would say, economics done right should be terribly boring. And you always want to be the detective, not the troll. So what else can we look forward to you for this coming week? You know, we just covered two two reports. What should people stay tuned for and look forward to next? Well, the interesting aspect is now that rates have risen, what does it do to the housing start sector? Because the, the number one area where it gets where, or higher rates impact is the new home sales market and housing starts. So that is the area where we'll start to see uh, in the, especially in the, in the upcoming months, do we see an impact there? Do the builders start to pull back? Because I've already said the builders have to keep on building. No, the builders don't have to do anything you tell them to. They just build on what they think they can sell the next month. So there's a lot of issues structurally with the builders right now just because of cost. So we'll see uh, uh, how the housing starts data goes. 
permits have been going well. The builders' confidence are still uh, high enough to where you don't see a really uh, detraction. So those are the things I'm keeping an eye on. Builders' confidence, housing starts, and then the upcoming uh, uh, new home sales report to see do, does the do these rates right now impact you know going from as low as two and a quarter all the way to uh, near four percent? Does that impact that sector the most? Because that's the first thing that you would see fade in housing. And I know topics that are. I mean, I'm and our listeners are very invested in because when we're constantly hearing about you know supply chain issues, staffing shortages. Um, uh, lumber prices, all of these things going to, into, into the situation. So I think setting, setting the latest, latest update for our listeners would be It is. And, and here's, here's the thing. The builders complain about labor for 10 straight years. Uh, lumber prices are high. It's miraculously that we're at pre-cycle housing, housing construction with all the, oh, new home sales are at pre-cycle highs too. So remember that everyone will complain about a lot of things, but when it breaks down to it, it's, can you sell the product at the price you want? And that's what the new home sales market, that's why the builder's confidence started to rise toward the end of the year. They ended up the sales, the last report was very solid, so it makes sense. So the builder's confidence data is a good one to track. It had a slight minor decline uh, last month. So you want to keep an eye on that because no matter what they do, complain about somehow they get it done. It's miraculous. It's like they got elves somewhere. Uh, it's all about the new home sales and monthly supply. So, so those are the things you really want to track with the builders. Yeah, and I, I mean, I've already said this before, but it's also listening to your analysis. So it's also, hey, what, what does Logan say for, you know, those who are watching closely? Like, these are actually the takeaways you need, which is why it's always a pleasure to have you on the podcast, Logan. There's so much to unpack. I know we'll continue to have more details to hear from you. So thanks for just sharing all of this with us. Yes, and everybody enjoy. Happy Valentine's Day. Looking for more insight into what will happen in 2022? Or maybe you need more information on what in the world is happening with the federal regulators. Or you could just be looking for information on how to stay competitive as the industry shifts to a purchase-focused market. Our HW Plus Premium Membership comes with all of this insight and more. With your HW Plus Membership, you'll get at least five HW Plus articles a week that dive deeper into the daily news to help you confidently make business decisions. To join, go to housingwire.com forward slash membership. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.